For there is hope of a tree if it be cut down, there it will sprout again, and that the tender branch thereof will not seize. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth, and the stock thereof die on the ground, yet through the skin of water it will bud and bring forth bows like a plant. But man dieth and wasteth away, yet man, man giveth up the ghost, and where is he? As the waters fail from the sea, the flood decayeth and drieth up. So man lieth down and riseth not till the heavens be no more. They shall not awake nor be raised out of their sleep. Oh, that thou wouldest hide me in the grave, and thou wouldest keep me a secret, uh, keep me secret until the wrath be past. Thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. Note, if you will, till my change come. We're entitled the message this morning. What do we do in the meantime? I'm sure we're all too familiar with the story of Job, all too familiar with the background of Job itself. Of all the books in the Bible, there is no book in the Bible quite like the book of Job. Job is different than the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, uh, the law, uh, because uh, there is no law in it, uh, but you do, uh, there, the, it's not like it, but you do see a little bit of law in the book of Job. Uh, the book of Job is unlike the historical books, uh, even though you will find some history in its pages. Uh, the book of Job is unlike the uh, prophetic books, even though there will be prophecy within its pages from time to time. And yet we know that scholars have ranked uh, Job alongside uh, of the poetic books of Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, and the Song of Solomon. When you get right down to it, there is no book uh, that stands uh, with the book of Job. It stands all alone. Now we know that Job lived before the giving of the law. The way we know that is because uh, there is no mention whatsoever of Jewish rites or customs. You don't find anything about the temple, the priesthood, or the Sabbath. Uh, so we also know that Job, in all probability, was the first book of the Bible uh, that was written. As far as the concept of religion and God was concerned, uh, Job had the same concept as did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, these patriarchs that lived before the giving of the law. We also know that Job offered up sacrifice to God on behalf of himself and that of his family, much the same way as did Noah uh, and Abraham and other pre-law people. Uh, we don't understand a lot about what went on with Job. We don't understand all the details. It simply says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. Now I have no idea where the land of Uz was located. I can't find it on any of my maps and you'd be hard pressed uh, to find that land on your maps as well. But I will say this, as you begin to compare Scripture with Scripture, you read Jeremiah, you read the rest of the book of Job, and you will find that Job was attacked uh, by enemies, uh, the Sabaeans and also uh, the Chaldeans. Uh, you see where Job's comforters came from, and if you pinpoint that area, it would appear to me uh, that Job lived somewhere in Arabia and somewhere within the proximity uh, of the Gulf of Agobah. That seems to be where it was at, but that really matters not uh, to the point at hand this morning. All I need to know is what God's Word says. There was a man uh, from us, and he was a right, an upright man, a perfect man, and he feared God, and he hated evil. Job was a man that lived in the lap of luxury, but he ended up being in the ashes of poverty. Uh, Job was a man that no doubt was highly educated, but he received his Ph.D. through the school of hard knocks. Uh, Job was a man who was loved by God, but he was hated by Satan himself. Job was a man who loved his life 
life, but he ended up cursing the day of his birth. Job was a man that no doubt laughed a lot in life, uh, but yet we know he cried gallons of tears. Job was a man who loved his children, but in the final analysis, all of his 10 kids were killed and taken away from him. Uh, Job was a man who loved his wife, but she said, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job had three friends. Oh, how you like to have these friends? Elphaz, Bildad, and, and, and Zophar. And yet they questioned his integrity. And yet it was Job who said in the final analysis, it will be the wicked that will perish, but it will be God who will show mercy upon those that are weary uh, in life. I remind you the story of Job has never changed. I want you to understand something this morning. Job's story is my story. Uh, Job's story uh, is your story as well. And I believe the Bible said that on one occasion uh, that Satan along with the demons of darkness appeared before God as the accuser of the brethren. And when he went into heaven, God said, Satan, where have you been? All to and fro upon the earth. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man of integrity, an upright man, a perfect man, and a man who loves me. But Satan says, God, you have placed a hedge around Job. You have blessed him so bountifully, but you take away the hedge and you take away the blessing and he'll lose his integrity and he'll curse you eyeball to eyeball. And, and God said, do as you want, but do not touch his life. Uh, Job goes back home and all of a sudden he was minding his own business. He had offered up sacrifices for himself, uh, offering sacrifices for his family. And one day a servant came out and said, Job, uh, I've got bad news. Uh, the child, uh, the, the uh, Sabaeans came down and killed all your flocks and all your herds at that particular farm. And I'm the only one that got away, killed all your servants. Job's heart broke. Then all of a sudden, another one came out. Another servant said, Job, uh, there was fire of God that came down from heaven and killed all your servants and, and killed all your crops and, and killed all your animals. And Job grasped his heart. And then here comes another servant. Uh, Job, I hate to tell you, uh, but uh, the Chaldeans came in and they killed all your crops and all your people and, and all your servants and I'm the only one left. And then Job clutches his chest. And then here comes another servant. Job, I hate to tell you, but a tornado whipped through town and all of, all of your kids are dead and their houses are destroyed and the servants are gone and I am the only one that's left. And what does Job do? He does not murmur. He does not complain, but he falls down to the ground. He rips off his clothes. He shaves his head and he said, blessed be the name of the Lord as he worshiped God. I came into the world with nothing. I'll go out with nothing, but blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm here to tell you, friend, you can't whoop a man like that. And then Satan goes back and God said, Satan, where you been? To and fro upon the earth. Have you considered my servant Job? He's an upright man. He's maintained his integrity. Ah, skin for skin. You let me touch his body. He'll deny you. He'll curse you. He'll give up the integrity that he has. And God said, do what you must, but don't kill him. And all of a sudden, the insult went to injury. Pain went to more pain uh, when Job was broken out in boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And there he is with a pottery uh, trying to uh, rake those boils to get that old pus out. If you've ever had a boil, you know they're painful. Can you imagine a body full of boils? And yet all of a sudden, Job is there in pain and in torment. And again, he doesn't murmur. He doesn't complain. He begins to praise and to worship God. He said, have you considered my servant Job? May I remind you that Job didn't even know what was going on. Life just seemed to happen to Job. 
It was almost like there was a chess match going on between God and between Satan. And here we find Job uh, being the pawn in the hand. And yet he didn't get angry with God. He didn't understand. He didn't know what was going on. But he said, I'm going to trust God. Have you considered my servant Job? Let me ask you a question. Is God bragging on maybe you today? Does God see something in your life or something in my life that he wants to brag about to the devil, to the enemy of our soul? Uh, maybe he's got to see something on the integrity part of our life or something about the faithfulness side of our life or something about the way we, get, uh, we, we, we resist the temptation in our life, something about the finance of our life, something that he's seen in our life that God said, I'm bragging on my son. I'm bragging on my daughter. What is God have to brag about you this morning are you going through hell and back today and you don't understand why the Job's question must become my question and Job's question must become your question and the question is how are we doing in our faith with God do we serve God when we're on top of the mountain or can we serve God when the mountain is on top of us can we serve God when the river is flowing through our life or can we serve God when we're going through a dry spell can we serve God when we've been blessed our socks off of us or can we serve God when it's as dry as last year's bird's nest can we serve God as long as everything is good but can we serve God when everything is upside down within our life I remind you God inhabits the praises of his people and I believe that what praise and adoration is to God murmuring and complaining is to the enemy of our soul Job's question is not why do bad things happen to good people Job's question is why is bad things happening to me why is bad things happening to me you see the Job problem is a human problem. I said the Job problem is a human problem, yours and mine. There'll be times of poverty and sickness and setback and misunderstanding and, and, and war and pestilence. Uh, there'll be times of sickness and disease and death and dying and crying and mourning. You name it, injustice, it's going to be there. You're Job this morning, church. I'm Job this morning. This is life. We didn't sign up for it, but this is life. After Job is met by his three friends, Alphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, he becomes so frustrated. The man is so frustrated. He is so angry. He is so beaten up inside. He preaches his own funeral service. Look, if you will, at verse 13 again, what he says. Oh, that thou would hide me in the grave, that you would keep me secret until your wrath is past that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. The pain in this man's heart, the frustration in this man's spirit, the hurt in every fiber of his being is intensified more painfully than the boils on his body. Life is slipping away from him. He said, man born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. But look at verse 14. I will wait till my change comes. Job was saying, God, all I want is an appointment with you. God, there's some things I want to talk over with you. God, God there's some things I'm going through that I, I really don't understand and, and some things I didn't sign up for. And God, I need to know, is my hope in vain? And is my faith, God, is it faultless? Is my faith fruitless? Is my faith too weak? God, there's some things I need to understand today. Is all this suffering necessary? 
Is all this pain needful? Is all this struggle all life is to it? Is all this heartache what life is about? God, there's some things I need to talk to you about this morning. God, what happened to that hedge you had round about me? I went to church this morning. I offered up praise to you. I offered up sacrifice for me and my kids. I paid my tithe. I gave my offering. I gave money to Ecuador. I haven't hurt nobody. I haven't gossiped about nobody. I'm out of here open and sinning. God, where's that hedge, Lord? Why have you just turned me over to the devil and his imps of darkness? And God, what about the promises that I've been standing on? They, they seem to have failed me right now, God. The Job situation is this. Life isn't what we thought it would be. Life isn't what we hoped it would be. And life isn't what we dreamed it to be. But Job said, but it's not always going to be this way. When my appointed time comes, I'm sure it's all going to change. I know it's going to get better. I know I'm going to be healed. I know I'm going to have that job. I know that prayer is going to be answered. I know my prodigal is going to come back home. I know it's going to be better again, Lord. But what do I do in the meantime? What do I do between the way things are now and the way I think they're supposed to be and the way you promised? I know my body's sick right now, but I know healing is on the way. I know I'm in the prison house of pain right now, but parole is on its way. But what do I do in the meantime? I know my prodigal's sinking in the deep quicksand of this world. I know he's going to be saved and she's going to be saved, but what do I do in the meantime? Between the things as they are now and the things as they're going to be. I'm in the valley, but I know I'm going to be on the mountain again, but what do I do in the meantime? Every 12 o'clock does not have to be a midnight church. We all have an appointed time of suffering. We all have an appointed time of battle. We all have an appointed time of warfare. And all that time at midnight, the midnight, the agony, the pain, the sickness, the boils, the depression, the death, the dying, the misunderstanding, the crying, the suffering, Oh, at midnight, it's worse. It's in midnight when the fevers go up. It's in midnight when the birds no longer sing. It's in midnight when it seemed like the dark drapedness has just draped itself over uh, the sunshine of God's love and God's grace and God's light. And we're there in that dark. And it seemed like the shadows are bigger and voices are stronger from the enemy. It's at that midnight where we feel like we're not going to make it at all. And we get scared to death at midnight when it's dark and we're at the bottom of the life. But I want to remind you, the same clock that says 12 midnight is the same clock that also says 12 midday. And the same clock that says defeat right now, the same clock says victory as well. And the same clock that says weeping may endure for the night. The same clock says and joy shall come in the morning. As I see it, the meantime is your time. The meantime is my time. Let me tell you, Job did not have a promise to stand upon. Today we have the New Testament. We have a new covenant. We have better promises. They didn't have, he didn't have the promises of the Old Testament. We, he just simply had a faith in God. But today we've got the whole arsenal of God's word. 
word of the Holy Spirit of God and yet the enemy gnaws us to death and chews us up and spits us out and leaves us to death and we just roll over and play dead. Let me tell you, we are going to go through times of suffering and times of misunderstanding and times of setback. This is life. You are Joe and I am Joe, but we've got the promise. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We've got the promises. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've got the word of God that says over and over and over that we've got the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith and the whole armor of God. There is no weapon formed against us that will be able to prosper. We have a God who sets up on the throne and I'm going to tell you every problem you have over your head, he has them under his feet. We've got the promises of God that are yay and amen. Hallelujah. As I see it, the meantime is your time and mine. It's the time we can wait upon the Lord in prayer. It's time we can wait upon the Lord in worship. It's the time we can wait upon the Lord for the prayer to be answered. It's time we can wait upon the Lord and wait for heaven to open up. In the meantime, do something for somebody. In the meantime, get up off your pity pot. In the meantime, get up and say, I'm God's child. He knows where I'm at. I don't know why I am where I am, but he does. And I'm going to make it, praise God, because I know the word of God. I know the heart of God. I know the mind of God. I know my God. He'll pull me through. And in the meantime, people are watching us. And if all we got is religion, I didn't say you, I said we. If all we've got is religion, and all we got is a Sunday morning experience when all hell breaks loose. Our unsaved neighbor says, if you're going to respond to it that way, what good is it serving God? We all have appointed times of suffering, appointed times of battle, and appointed times of warfare. In the meantime, put a smile on your face. Just as God inhabits the praises of his people, the enemy inhabits the murmuring and the complaining of God's people. The same God, hmm, the same God that met you and the same God that met me in the darkness of our sin, who sprung the light in the darkness of our sin. Remember that day? Remember how dark and dismal and damnable and depressing your life was until Jesus came on board. That same God will help us in the darkness of midnight. Amen. I love the story of Saul of Tarsus. I love this guy. Love to hate him in some ways. He was the Osama bin Laden of his generation. The man had a religion, a PhD in Judaism. That didn't stand for Pentecostal hairdo. That didn't stand for post hole digger. The dude was smart. He was educated to feed a Gamaliel. He loved the Jewish religion more than he loved the God who gave the religion. He loved Judaism. And he looked at Christianity as a threat to Judaism. It, to him, Christianity was not an offshoot of Judaism. It was not the fulfillment of Judaism. It was a, 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 an enemy to Judaism. So Saul of Tarsus, as educated as he was, he went around persecuting Christians, arresting Christians, throwing Christians in jail, and even seeing them killed. It brought a blessing to his heart to watch a child of God, a Christian, die. 
And here this guy is, I mean, he's a hot dog. Crafts don't have nothing much to put on him. He's walking down the road to Damascus like he's somebody. And all of a sudden, a bright light shines out of heaven and he's knocked down to the ground and God speaks, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute my children? Who are you, Lord? It's amazing, everybody knows who he is even when they don't know him. Get up and go, the, go into Damascus. He wanted to go in like a wild man, but he was blinded, literally. Could not see. They walk him in, and all of a sudden, another man by the name of Ananias. God speaks to Ananias. Once you go to Straight Street, there's a guy there by the name of Saul. He prays, and he, wait a minute, Lord, I've heard a lot of bad things about Saul. He, he persecutes Christians. He kills them. But go, Ananias. He's a choice vessel of mine. I'm going to show you things you must suffer for the kingdom of God. Come in. Uh, my name's Ananias. I'm here to see Saul of Tarsus. It's me. Brother Saul? Yes. The Lord that appeared to you on the way has appeared to me. I am to come to lay my hands upon you that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Yes. A transformation took place. The man's eyes were open. He now is walking in the light. Amen. The light. Freed from religion, freed from bondage, freed from all of that. And the man goes into Arabia for three years. And he has nothing but the Old Testament scriptures and prayer. And he comes out of the Arabia, uh, that God-forsaken desert, with a deeper revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ than the disciples had who walked with him physically for three years. Amen. Even Peter said, Jeff Dave in translation, we don't swim as deep as he does. We don't swim as deep as Paul. He says things, I just scratch my head. Had to get it. Spending time with the Lord in prayer and God's word. Well, he begins to preach. They laid hands upon him, and that guy goes out. I mean, he's turning the world upside down for the glory of God. And he wants to go into an area, and the Holy Spirit forbids him to go. And he sees a vision, a man from Macedonia, come over here and help us. So Saul, Paul, and, and Silas now are on their way over to Macedonia, and they get into a little region called Philippi. And they're anti-Semitic. How do we know that? Because it takes 10 men, to, 10 Jewish men for a synagogue. And they had no synagogue, so they couldn't find 10 Jewish men. So they go down by the river to worship. And they get there and they meet a bunch of women. Now Paul wants to go preach to a bunch of men. He gets hooked up a bunch of women. And one of them is demon-possessed. And Paul got tired of that, so he cast the demon out of her. And you would think people would be happy that God set somebody free. But no, no. They used that woman for ill-gotten gain. That demon-possessed woman was being used to filter the pockets of other people. And once the demon's cast out, now they don't have any money they can get from her. So they got angry. What did they do? They took Paul and they took Silas and they beat them with rods. They beat them and they throw them into a prison and they put their heads in a stock and they close it. And they put their hands on their feet, which means they stretched them out where it was in pain. Now here they are at midnight at dark again. What do you think they felt like? How would you have happened? What would you have done? i tell you what I'd have probably done. This ain't fair. I thought I heard from God. I thought I was in the will of the Lord. How would the Lord lead me here? Why am I going through this? God, this is not fair. No. Didn't do that. You read the book of Philippians. And the key word in that book is joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And here they are at midnight, hands and feet, neck and the stock. And old Paul looks over and says, hey, Si, how you doing? It hurts, Paul. Sure does, don't it? God's good, isn't he? Say what? God's good, isn't he? 
Saul, what are we doing here? Except for righteous man's order of God. Don't you know that, boy? Say what? The steps of righteous man's order to the Lord. You telling us God put us here? Not necessarily, but he can use us while we're here. God's as good inside this place as he was outside it. And so the more I talk about it, I feel, a, 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 I feel the praise welling up on the inside. And there at midnight, the darkest part of the night, Saul, Paul, and Silas began to sing praises to God. On two kind of people sing at midnight, drunks and Pentecostals. <laughs> and all the prisoners and all the guards heard them singing. I don't think they're going kumbaya. I believe they filled up their mouth and they were praising God. Not because of where they were, but in spite of where they were. They were sold out to him lock, stock, and barrel. And there they are in that prison singing praises to God. Well, how many of you know as praise goes up, God inhabits it. As the praise goes up, the power of God came down. Now, the Bible said the earth is God's footstool. God's sitting on the throne, his feet upon that footstool called the earth. And as the praise went up, I believe God got in the beat of that thing. <laughs> Why do I say that? Because an earthquake came. And it was a localized earthquake. It didn't hit the whole city. It hit the jailhouse. I'm here to tell you, uh, there was a jailhouse rock long before Elvis Presley knew anything about it. <laughs> then the place began to shake and the prison bars were open. They were set free. And the soldier, uh, he took out the knife to kill himself. And he said, put your sword up. We're all here. And he falls down. What must I do to be saved? Let me tell you something. When we're going through the midnight hour, the world could care less about our experience in God. But they'll sure be interested in God's experience in us. And there's a big difference. What am I trying to say to thee, church? Job lost it all, and Paul's about to lose it all, but their attitude as they went through it changed their lives and the lives of people around. Job lost his home, a place to care for his body. Job lost his crops, a means to, care, to, to, sustain, to sustain his body. Uh, Job lost the fruit of his body, his children. Job even lost the health of his body, but he still continued to praise and worship the Lord. Job lost it all, but he had one thing left. You know what it was? The Word. Amen. He had the Word. And if you and I will stay upon the word in the meantime, hold on to God's word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall abide forever. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against him. He sent his word and he healed them. And the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. If you continue in my word, you are indeed my disciples. Be not deceived. Be ye doers of the word and not just here only. If we lose everything we have and we have the Word of God, we've got enough to start over. If we lose everything we have and we have Jesus, we have enough to start over. If I lose all my money, my Father is rich in heaven. If I lose my house, there's an abiding place called a mansion over in glory. If I lose the health of my body, there's awaiting me a glorified body. It does not yet appear what I shall be, but when he appears, I will have a glorious body fashioned like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I lose my best friend, he's a friend that'll sit closer than a brother through whatever comes my way. How do I start over? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. How do I start over? 
hold to God's unchanging hand. Remember the old song you sing years ago? How do I start over? Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. God works in the meantime. God has healing for your sickness. He has salvation for your prodigal. He has power beyond belief. Thank God in the meantime I'm here to tell you. Give your hands to the Lord. Give your lips to the Lord. Give your feet to the Lord. Give your entire being to the Lord. Let people see what you're going through and know in the midst of where I'm at my midnight hour, he will see me through. The Bible tells me that in this world he'll give us fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and houses and lands with persecution. He'll do it for you. But in the meantime, my change is coming. If any man be in Christ, he's a brand new creature. My change is coming. If this tabernacle be dissolved, I have a brand new one that will be glorified. If I, uh, uh, my change is coming, but though he slay me, yet will I trust him. My change is coming. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. In the meantime, we have his rod and staff uh, with us. Uh, we have the Siamese twins of goodness and mercy around behind us. And we have angels of God above us and around us encamping beside of us as well. But in the meantime, you can make it for the praise of God's glory. Why? Because he is for you and he is not against you this hour you live in. Well, preacher, it's not fair. Show me anywhere in the Word of God where life is fair. God is fair. Well, how come he's using me in a chest max? I don't know. Ask him. I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. If he's got his hand upon you, the same God that leads you through the midday is the same God that leads you through the midnight hour. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Something about life is filled with transition and so forth. I wish I remember that old song. Hold on to his hand, church. But you know what? If I'm holding on to his hand, I can slip. If I let him hold on to mine, he's got the grip. He's got the grip. He's got the grip. Don't be weary in well-doing. Would you stand this morning?